So anyway, um, um, Ephesians chapter 4, this is the fourth message in the series that we've been looking at um, uh, from the book of Ephesians, what we call the made for more. Ephesians um, speaks of the church uh, and that Jesus, that God had envisioned for a long time and Jesus came to, to, to initiate the church. And, and what, the thing about Ephesians is, is a, it, it connects the dots between God's, what, 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 what the Bible calls the mystery. In fact, Ephesians uses the word mystery or mysterious. Seven out, of, seven out of 26 times you find that word in the scripture is found in Ephesians. And what it does is it's unfolded. In Ephesians, it's not really a mystery as much as it's a mystery unfolded. Ephesians opens up for us what God had in plan way before we were even created. Well before the foundations of the world were created. It says that this thing did not happen by accident. You did not happen by accident. The day you were born, God had a plan for your life. And he purposed for you to live today. And he, his plan to fulfill, to God's plans to fulfill his purpose on earth through the body of Christ. And so in Ephesians, we see all this and we see the plan of God, the mystery of God being made known, being revealed. Just like with the scripture that says that no eye has seen, no ear has had, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the plans that God has prepared for those who love him. If you read the ne very next verse, it says, but God has revealed it. To us through his spirit. You see, it seems like a mystery until you realize when you are in Christ, this mystery is already solved. And that you are part of something great that you have been made for more. Your life is not just ordinary. You have been made for an extraordinary life. And, and, and the only way I can coin that and put most meaning towards this is that God is looking for eternity, not just achievement on earth. Because you can do a lot on earth which God promises to help us do a lot on earth, but how many know that there are so many things that are left here that never go anywhere else? But what we build that has eternal significance is something that will last eternal significance. Like, that's what really matters in the end. And so the Lord is saying that we should set our eyes and see things above and that we should see ourselves as people who have been made for more. So now this, oh, this mic's not doing good for me here, but... Uh, there we go, maybe better. So I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4. And um, I don't, again, maybe you figured this out. I haven't been putting my verses out there a little bit. I, I don't know why. I think it's good for you to read your Bible and, um, and, and to mark some things. Maybe I'm reading, I'm, as, gonna, as I'm reading, God speaks to you and encourages you or in some area or another, you know. You know, it's, it's good to open your Bible, right? I honestly, as I've been going through this book over and over again, we could be in the book of Ephesians for a full year and not exhaust the different lessons and teachings and encouragements and messages that are ingrained in even one single verse or even statements that are made within a verse. So the way we are reading it today and the last few weeks, um, we're just going to send, I'm just going to send a one thought uh, with you and share, and, and, and I believe that the Lord has for us this morning. Now, 
if you're reading, and I hope you are on your own, I am praying that the Lord will speak to you in your life and bring revelation, as it says in Ephesians, that I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge will come to you. And that's what we need. Not just reading the word and knowing it, which is one step, but the second step is getting the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge, which connects what you have read and brings it into reality where you live by the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me jump, let me start from verse, uh, I'm going to go for verse uh, 3. He says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with, uh, together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is in all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Uh, <clears throat> the opening statement here, Paul is urging the church to make um, every effort to walk in unity. He's, he's, he's re-emphasizing that the fulfillment of the promise of God, which he actually Specify why he's writing late in the later verses. In fact, why don't you jump down with me and then we'll come back to... Uh, I'm going to go back on reverse and then we'll, we'll come back. Um, go to verse... Verse 13. He says, this will continue and we'll, we'll fill in the gaps, so don't worry a little bit. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of the Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the, full, to, to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, verse 15, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, I'm going to go back and, and we can reread back. But you see in those verses, he, he shows two pictures. He shows the picture of you, me and you, right? The individual and the picture of the body of Christ collectively. For us, he says, God's intent is that we will look like Christ. That we will grow to maturity. We will begin to reflect the, the character of Christ where we have, where we will be many Jesuses everywhere we go. Because sometimes, even without telling anybody that you're a Christian, they can tell that there's something about you. I was telling, we were in a foundations class this Wednesday, I was telling them about a young man that was helping me at my house redoing my sprinkler system that I had ruined through a lot of different things. And the guy was helping me, and we were talking for a few times. He'd come, do the estimate, come back and tell me what's going on. And then one time we're talking in the conversation, I said, hey, I've got to stop you. I've got to ask you a question. This is personal. It has nothing to do with business. I said, what church do you go to? <laughs> he told me what church. I said, so you, you are a believer. And he was so happy. 
And I said, you know, I knew you were a believer when I met you. I could tell there was something about you that was different. I mean, he was so excited, you know, about that. That He's like, I just try every day to live for Christ and to, to let my, my, my light shine and be, you know. And so we talked as a brother to brother in the Lord. But I think it was a really compliment to the young man because he's living. It wasn't even that he said anything, but I could tell in his spirit that there was something. Just like we just read at the beginning that there is one God, there is the one Father, there is one Spirit. The same Spirit that is in me was the same Spirit in him. The same Jesus who saved me is the same Jesus who saved him. And so... I think he had um, been, he says, in the last few years we've been trying purposely to grow. My wife and I got baptized a few years ago and we've been really purposefully trying to grow in our walk with the Lord. I think they're being made. And it shows. And that's what Paul is saying to us is that as we live and walk our Christian life, as we look, live and follow Christ and be who we were called to be, that that reflection of Christ will become a part of who we are. And so people sometimes cannot pin it because they don't understand it, but they'll know that there's something different, something special about you, and that is the Spirit of God inside of you as you grow in maturity. Let's go back. Okay. <laughs> See, I finished the message before I started. So verse 7. Is that where we stopped? No. I stopped at verse um, 6. So he's talking about the importance of unity. So he's saying that to get to that point, unity is so important. To get to that point, it's so important to understand who you are. To get to that point, he says, make every effort... To keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself with peace. Because Paul knows that there is power in unity. Got really quiet in this church and it scares me a little bit. I like a church that really talks back to you. Because sometimes when, we, when the message of unity comes, we, we tend to, to go on the negative. Like as we are fighting this unity. But what if we started looking at it from the positive and look at what could happen if we started to walk in unity more so, like more intentional, if you would. Because there is power in unity. You see, we see a, cup, a negative uh, picture in the Old Testament about when people walk in unity and what they can accomplish. Genesis chapter 11, it shows the story of the people as they were growing. This was very, very early people and, 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 they, and they were gone farther and farther from God after sin entered the world. And you read the story of the Tower of Babel and how people were so united. It says they spoke in one voice. They were so united and, and they were able to do a lot. They were able to accomplish so much. Nothing hindered them. In fact, the law says there's nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them to do just because they have that much unity. The problem is they use that unity for evil instead of for good. And so that would bring a maximum amount of distraction when people unite for the wrong reason. But on the contrary, when people unite for, for the right reasons, how many know that the blessings of the Lord begin to flow? Just like it says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to walk together in unity. And he talks about how the anointing flows at that point, from the head to the toe. And he just goes on and says, At that point, if you keep reading Psalm 113, where there is unity, he says, God commands a blessing in that place. And Satan knows that when there is strong unity, and even when there is a deliberate choice to walk in unity, the blessings, we, there's a, we, we pave the way for blessings to flow. We pave the way for blessings to flow in the, in the family, when a couple's walk in unity. Amen. 
Sometimes you don't even have to have money, don't have to have anything. It's just to say we are content to be in the same place in our life, in our marriage. We, are, we, we, we fight for or strive to, to have the same views. Talk about the difficult things and come content for unity. I remember when Sarah and I were engaged, we started talking about different things to see where we would line up, whether it's finances or kids and, and how to raise them and whatnot. We made sure that, well, that we are on the same page on these things. And where we didn't see eye to eye, we would try to walk and see, okay, Let's form what our plan of action will be in this case. So some people go into marriage or go into relationship and never really look at those things. And if, if there's a possibility of contention in an area, we either avoid it or fight it. Instead of saying, okay, I know you're seeing it differently and I'm seeing it differently, but let's come together in unity. Let us talk together and create what is going to be us. Because... All of, all of a sudden, you've already defeated so many plans that the enemy would have already tried to bring discord in your marriage. You defeat it just by saying, agreeing. Where there's unity, there's blessing. Where there's a prayer of unity. It says there's so much power. When believers believe, it says when two or three gather in my name, I'll be there. Whatever they agree on us shall be done. It just shows throughout the Bible that there is power when there's unity. When God, God himself... When he says when he made man, he uses plural in Genesis. Before people ever knew about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. So even as it relates to creating us, God commands unity. So another story. No, I'll skip that. <laughs> I'll skip that. So keep reading. Verse 7. However... He has given each one of us special a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led crowds captives and give gifts to people. He basically, in, in making his point, he quotes Psalm, uh, an Old Testament scripture. I think it's Psalm 68. And, and he says, notice that it says he ascended this clearly means that Christ, who, uh, this, uh, that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And, same, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. You know, in verse 7 it says that God has given to each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. If I made a statement and say that everyone that's sitting here today has a, has a gift in their lives, I don't think anybody would doubt that, that you have some kind of gift in your life. Maybe some might. But where I think we, where the problem comes in sometimes acknowledging or even recognizing that the gift that you and I possess is special. Look at verse 7 again. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. He has given not some of us, not the ones that we perceive to be most talented, not the ones that we think to be, have the most opportunity. No, he says he has given each one of us a special gift. I believe that this is where the game changer comes. As to whether we're going to make a mark 
in our lifetime for the kingdom of God. When we walk this, and when the future generation, when these kids um, uh, that are up here on stage and serving out there, that we, uh, when, when, if the Lord tarries and uh, many of us are out of this place and these guys are running, I wonder if they'll say that they left a mark that has made an impact for the kingdom of God. Everyone sitting in this room, God has put inside of you a special gift. We were called to make a mark. Not just that our names will be known and have a street named after us. No, to make a mark for eternity. To make a mark that people that would have never seen the kingdom of God unless they had crossed our path. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and tell you there's a special gift in you. Maybe it's the one person that was so disappointed with you this morning. But there's still a special gift in you. And I think when we see it as special, as unique, as God ordained and God purpose, it changes how we think. It changes how we treat ourselves. It changes how we think about ourselves. And it changes the amount of effort that we put into everything. When someone does not respect what they have, they don't tend to put a lot of effort. But if you feel like you have something going on for you that's good, those types of people that think that way, I mean, they will try and fail and try and fail, but they will never give up because they believe that there's something valuable inside of them. I grew up in the 90s. The 90s were the best times. The music was better. I think 80s were better music than the 90s. I still listen to 80s music in the 90s. But, 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 but basketball was better than it is today in the 90s. Man, the competition, those things were like World War III, I mean, I, when you watch like the playoffs. But we, we saw Michael Jordan, his airness back then. How many remember? Number 23, Chicago Bulls. I was out in Africa someplace, but every kid had a number 23, Chicago Bulls. To, to, to witness them um, uh, hit those six titles and going on the court, my brother is a witness here. We had a little beat-up basketball court in our neighborhood. And there were some really horrible, horrible one-on-one uh, -on -one games that took place. And many fights broke out. I was like, you found me. That was not a foul. How many know those ones that lead up into a bigger fight? But I remember the Chicago Bulls were amazing. And when we think of how they won the sixth chance, we think about Michael Jordan being the greatest ever. But there was a guy on the team that could not make a six-foot shot. In fact, I think, I don't know what his stats were. I don't think he averaged two points a game. And we don't even talk about him when we talk about the Chicago Bulls. But I don't think Michael Jordan would have taken some of the big guys, that, the competition he had, had this guy not been on the team. He, you never knew what color of his hair would be any time you show up. He might have, he might pull you a Kelly Austin hair, do Sometimes he's red, sometimes yellow is green. Dennis Rodman. He could not score. I mean, I can make a six-footer with my eyes closed, and I'm not a professional basketball. Could not. But that guy knew his role. He understood he had a special gift 
Nobody could rebound that ball better than him. He would hustle. That ball would, he would save a lot of 50-50 balls and give him a possession every single time. He went out there. He was not his airness, number 23. We don't even remember him when we think about the greatest bulls all the time. But that guy took care of business. If you watch the tapes, you realize this guy helped Michael Jordan get six titles. He saw his uniqueness. He saw the special gift, and he appreciated it. He didn't care to be put up there with the guy. I don't even think those days they counted the rebounds that much. Like it wasn't a big start. But he helped the team win. And sometimes in the kingdom of God, we like to compare ourselves with Michael Jordan. There's a debate still going on. Is LeBron better than Jordan? What if he had a better team like the Bulls? You know, people, the mindless sports arguments that you've been engaging, some of us have. It's like, no way, he's not that good. There's always that. But when we try to measure up with the greatest of all times, quote, unquote, we count ourselves off as those who are not really as gifted. But yet God had maybe called you to be a Dennis Rodman. Just doing your thing right. Recognizing the special gift in you and doing it right. You might not be able to, to preach here or teach. But boy, you can take care of those kids like nobody else. You can make sure that when the, it opens up the mud pit for the parking lot that some people are taken care of when they come to church. You know I'm preaching better than... And we do it in the kingdom. We do it also in our personal lives. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't cultivate the gift. And God says to each one of us, he has given us a gift. And it's not just a gift. It's a special gift. If you see your gift as special, then you're going to begin to apply yourself and serve the Lord in ways that you don't have to be asked. Like, what can I do? This is what I can do. Is there anything I can do? And he says when that kind of unity is going on in the body, he says that the body of Christ, the church begins to be strengthened, is what he says. Keep reading with me. Verse 11 says, now this, this oh, well, yeah, so he says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. So now we go from the special gift that each one is given. And now he, he turns the corner and begins to tell us about the gifts that have been given to the church. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ has given the church. And he calls out what we, what we call apostles, uh, the, 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 great, uh, the five, whatever, fivefold ministries. He says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And he says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This is where I think Satan has done a better job of twisting the roles in the church and therefore causing us to be ineffective in our witness. Because we look at those, he says, these are the gifts that Christ has given the church. And we see the pastor, the prophet, the teachers, the evangelist. He says, I'm not none of that. Those are the guys that are called into ministry. But here's a scripture makes it very plain. He says that he's given that to the church and they have, a, they have a specific job and their job, their responsibility is to equip, to encourage, to teach the church 
God's people. So that God's people can do the work of the ministry and build the church, the body of Christ. Because we think, oh, well, we have the professional minister do the work of the ministry, and I do something else out there. He says, we got that wrong. Because the work of the ministry is, we, it's, we are the people who do the work of the ministry. We are the people who reach our neighbors. We are the people who are alive. Like the young man, I gave you an example of that I met, and I, I could tell you as a believer. So I, I like to think, if I knew as a believer, I think when he interacts with people everywhere he goes, he lives a little light of Jesus everywhere he goes. He, he's being a witness everywhere he goes. Uh, you know, and, 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 so I, and, and I had another opportunity just talking to a guy. He's a Muslim guy that I've been talking to and just trying to, to work and, and talk. And, and I, yesterday we crossed paths again. And in our conversation, I said something in ways that he could understand. I said, you know, um, 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 he was... It was something to do with appreciating, looking at things in the positive light like a kid would, as opposed to looking at the mess. You know how it is? Sometimes you could just look at the parking lot and say, man, at City Church Day, that was horrible. It's so muddy. I can't believe my shoes. And someone says, look, we're paving the parking lot. It's awesome. You know, so it's a different just outlook in life. It's the same scenario, but one is looking at the positive of what that means, and someone says, oh, jeez. I'm not coming back to church until that's done. Because <laughs> I like my brown shoes, right? And so we had that conversation. I said, you know, there's a teaching in Christianity which sparked something. He's an Egyptian Muslim. I think I mentioned him before. And I'm praying for the man. I'm not going to say his name because this is being recorded. But you pray for an Egyptian Muslim guy that I'm witnessing to. <laughs> and you know, it opened up. He says, you know, when I was growing up in Egypt... Um, um, there are a lot of Christians in the north and, uh, and you know one of my aunts had their baby baptized and I loved going to church in the, over Christmas they treated us so good they gave us all kinds of presents and boy the food was good but this is why, I, I wonder why people have just gone away from the principles of religion and, and, and they, they just are concerned about making money and all that stuff. And he says, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, it's a, it's a, that's the teaching of Jesus about being as simple as a child. And we had that conversation. But now the Lord has already shown me what I'm going to invite him to this year. Our Christmas, International Christmas Banquet. Because he loved going to church over Christmas. But I'm praying for this guy. I'm praying for this guy, and I believe the Lord made our paths cross so that I can be a witness to, to him. God has put people in your life, around your life, so that you can be a witness to them. It doesn't have to be imposing, but living out your Christian life and, and, and being intentional about being a witness for Christ. My wife gave me an amen. Everybody else give me an amen there. So, so tie that thought. To the original thought we open of unity. Now think about how powerful this statement is when each one of us, let's say, let's say like it's this week, intentionally said we're, we're starting the week out with prayer and no better way. I'm taking five people that I'm going to be praying for this year. Before this year ends, I'm going to be praying for five people. They're going to be on my five. These are the guys I'm going to be praying. People that don't know the Lord, they don't go to church or anything. I'm going to be praying for them. And I'm going to invite them to something. Maybe it's a Christmas banquet. Maybe it's a kids thing. Maybe it's this, that. Maybe it's just on Sunday morning. Or just on Sunday. Just maybe it's Sunday morning. Imagine if we were in the unity, like Paul is saying here. 
in spirit, praying, not just kind of wishing and hoping that they would be moved. How many know they don't get moved by wishing and hoping? They may move because when we start praying for them. Because, we are, because it's not just God wanting to win their soul. We have an adversary that does not want them to know the Lord. So when we think of it as spiritual and we do that, do you know how remarkable that would be? They will come here and they will get a message that they will always have an opportunity to accept Jesus into their lives. That we can guarantee you. And right there you contributed to the eternal destination of somebody. Someone that maybe was headed one way. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, the Lord has given the church gifts. He's given us these gifts to the church so that we can teach and encourage believers to do the work of the ministry. And when believers are the ones who do the work of the ministry, that's when the body of Christ begins to be strengthened. That's when the body of Christ begins to grow. That's when the body of Christ begins to not just be added to, but multiplied. And that happens by witnessing. If we were to all start beginning, just like, okay, prayer and fasting, fourth quarter, 2019, starts tomorrow night. We're praying for our friends. We're praying for our neighbors. We're praying for our co-workers. We're praying for, for our family that do not know the Lord. We're praying for our city. We're praying for our nation. But each one of us, take one chance. write five names down. Write five names down right now as we're talking. Write some, put it on your phone. Five Make it your prayer list. All of us know people that don't know the Lord. Just start praying. Praying for them, that they will find a way. And they don't have to come to City Church. I want to find them know the Lord more than they want them to come to our church. That God will send someone in their way. That, that a miracle will happen in their way. There's a church is active around the world. I've been following two ministries in the Middle East. One is um, doing a lot of work in the underground church in Iran. And another one is that they're passionate about reaching Jews for Jesus in Israel. And God is giving them favor in reaching very, very hard mission fields. And the, the underground church in Iran um, is growing. A lot of them, as we see all the different instabilities that are going on, Jesus is being revealed. There are people that are working in that hostile environment where converting a Muslim is a, is a, is a, is a death penalty. Converting yourself is a death penalty. But people are still witnessing and Jesus is still being preached. Amen. What would happen if he came one time in the United States and we cannot gather? In settings like this, with the church, with Lincoln City Church, cease to exist. Shouldn't. Because the church is not confined. It's not the building where we are. It's the people that are serving God together. Even if we didn't have this meeting, if we are truly one body, one Christ, like Paul was saying, then we can continue to go on. As I finish with it, uh, and I'm going to finish with this, I'm not going to read more. We'll go on next week. Um, um, <clears throat> When I was growing up in Nairobi, well, anyway, we did something at our church in Nairobi as a, as a young man, but it was inspired by what had happened to a neighboring country north of, of Kenya, which is Ethiopia. Yes, uh, before there had been a regime that had come and, and, and was very, very, um, uh, um, there was very, very, 
I would say, afraid. Fear is always fear-based and controlling. And they didn't like people, big people gathering together. And so the church gatherings were not allowed anymore. The government was so threatened by those groups of that many people getting together and thinking alike and accomplishing. And so it went on for a long time. And, uh, and uh, there was a revolution and that was changed. But the stories of different churches that had, were meeting um, uh, where they had to disband, they couldn't meet in a setting like this for worship. They just met in homes in small groups. And pastor maybe would write a message and it would be passed on, passed on, passed on, passed on, and the small groups will have their services and communication will go out. This is before text messaging, Instagram, and email. <laughs> but they still manage to grow. When there was a revolution by Hel Gabriel, Gabriel Selassie and all those rules were, um, were, were, um, were, were torn back and people could gather again, most of the churches were more than quadrupled in sizes. Instances of young people, young people in their teens were leading masses of people, groups. People were getting saved all over the place. They could not believe how big the church had begun, had become. When they were an underground, they just met in small groups at home, communicated through distribution of messages and information, gathered reports, game, and the pastors knew what was going on, but they were all shocked to the extent of the growth of the church. And I believe what we read in this verse is exactly what happened. Is that all of a sudden, people quit focusing on the guy on the pulpit as the guy that should be doing the work of the ministry, or a handful of people that are doing a hand of the ministry. They started seeing their significance in meeting together with brothers and sisters, four, five, ten, in small communities and in whole. And, 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 and believers were doing the work of the ministry without labeling it. Because sometimes we put labels on things and we mess it all up. And we did, at our, at what I was starting to say is that at our church, we did a couple of services like that. Just to, 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 to imitate, can our church still be, go on? Would we be stronger or would we be weaker if we weren't able to gather together? And I tell you, the services we did, and we had about 3,000 people at the time, and, and, and everybody, every neighborhood, we prepared messages and different groups met in different houses all throughout the city. We even took offering, had the leaders brought the offering back to the church. We had record number of people attend, record number of, um, of money given for offering, record number of people saved new converts every single time we did that. Now, it was a, something we, paid, we did a long time preparing for that, but how, we were very intentional in praying, but it shows the power and the special gift that resides in every believer sitting in the church. Now look at the guy that you, or the girl that you told you have a special gift inside of you. Tell him now like you believe it. <laughs> if we believe that, and we start just looking at ourselves differently as believers, and seeing our role of evangelism and discipleship, not so much as preaching and yelling at people that you're going to hell and going to die if you don't turn to Jesus tomorrow or today. But just being that light, 
where you are and recognizing who you are, a child of God, saved by the blood of Jesus. Your sins were forgiven. God's not counting it against you. He's made you a child of his, adapted you into the family of God, as he says, for those who receive them to them. He gave them the rights to become the children of God and he who dwells in you now is greater than he that is in the world. And even if the devil comes against you, he says that no weapon fashioned against you is going to be able to prosper. And every time that rises up in judgment against you, he shall be condemned by the Lord. I am a child of God, full of the Holy Ghost. I am the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I've been saved, redeemed, sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. There's something special, there's something beautiful inside of me. Lift your head up and you can walk straight and not worry about what's going on inside of you. And we can change Lincoln, Nebraska in a minute because God sees that and he says where there's unity of that kind of thing, that where there's unity of the spirit, God says there's a place where I'm going to command a blessing. You know, you can be blessed. You can, you can be like one of those God bless you, Sam. God bless you. God bless you, Sue. God bless you. You can get a little part blessing. But God says where people are unified in the spirit. God says, I'm not just parting a blessing on you. That's the place God says, I'm going to command a blessing. And when God commands a blessing, no man can cast in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you receive something? Amen. I said we changed Lincoln, Nebraska. I said we see people in 2019, this the fourth quarter be stronger than the, uh, uh, what we've ever seen before. I said we, see, we all go on, start praying for people, start witnessing. Let's bring people to church. Let's bring people to church. Let's bring them to church and see Jesus turn people's lives around. We do it in unity. This, we're going to be a beginning of something unique and something beautiful. And we will just look and marvel and say, I remember. Well, I remember that service. I remember. September 29th, 2019. I remember we, we decided we're going to go in unity. I remember those prayer meetings when we started saying, God, we are tired of seeing families being torn apart. We are tired of people living in addiction and sickness. We are tired of seeing this. We are believing for a mighty move of God, a revival in Lincoln, Nebraska. We don't want to read it in the textbooks. We want to be a part of what God's doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Amen. Thank you. Come on. Give the Lord praise in the house.